Okay. Uh, I encourage you to have your Bibles. We always say that, and I actually took the last one. Um, so we're going to buy more, uh, and those will be our gift to you. Uh, so I uh, encourage you to open your apps, open your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have them, uh, the, the scripture we're looking at will be on the screen behind me. But we're opening a new series uh, called Created. We're, we're talking to the fact that you are made with purpose, made with design, what that means for us, the world, and our relationships with others. And, and today we're going to be unpacking that that means um, giving greater clarity to a very old and foundational doctrine called the Imago Dei. That's Latin for the image of God. And, and this is not just something to make you look smart, but actually it, it dictates how we function in the community that we have as God's people, as the church. And so uh, hopefully this will be easy for you if you're new to your Bibles. First page, chapter 1, Genesis. Um, so great way to intro you to your Bibles. We're going to be reading from Genesis 1, 24 to 30. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Uh, we, we are looking at this, not just to give evidence to how the Bible portrays and how we affirm that, that we are created, that, that we do not stand in a place of we are random causality, but, but actually that there is an inherent design. Now, I need, I need to say this because some uh, have been raised in a context or maybe you approach the Bible in a very literal format uh, that, that we're not really given that in Genesis. I don't want to spend too much time here, but th it's written in a Hebrew poem to give not just understanding to, uh, or sorry, not to give understanding to the how God created, but that, that he created and that there was order there was design. There was purpose. It's wonderful that he laid the foundations of the land before he put the beasts of the land there, that they didn't drown in the oceans. And we see that, that this has great purpose as it, it builds out because at the pinnacle, at the crown of his achievements, of his creation, in fact, the only thing left to do was rest. He creates humanity. I know many of your Bibles will say man. That's plural for man and woman, humanity. And so we want to talk about what that means for us. It's actually a very poignant conversation for our culture today, and we want to begin this text or, and begin this series uh, on a foundation of the Imago Dei. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? So we're going to talk about why, what is it, why it's important, and how it's restored. 
So I, I know uh, I've already answered this question in part, but as we're holding our fingers in uh, the first page of our Bibles, Genesis 1, uh, we, we see something of a created order, which speaks to the prominence, the, the lastness of humanity, that, that speaks to that it's distinct and it's above. We, we even see that in the wording of the text. I included in our reading uh, verse 24 and 25, um, because we see that it says, let us make the birds according to their kind, the fish according to their kind, the beasts according to their kind, and then humanity in our likeness. Everything is apportioned and given place to live and uh, kind of lumped in with the land, the sea, the air, where they are to have their existence. But humanity is given all these things in a, in a, a place of dominion. That means reigning, ruling authority. It speaks to prominence, not just in the lastness of our creation, but in our relationship to creation. It's very clear in the text. I'm setting you above. I'm, I'm giving you this as you are heirs to creation. This is for you. It speaks to God's goodness. And in fact, uh, ancient Hebrew readers uh, would have seen the world not having the scientific discovery that we have. as kind of like a snow globe. Like God reaches into the expanse of darkness, pulls it aside, and creates a space, a pocket for, for us to live and exist. Imagine what they thought when they looked up and saw the black sky and the chaotic waters. And yet this wonderful provision of land that they get to live on that God said, I made that for you. Not only did I make it for you, it, it's hospitable to you. It, it, and you see this, they have a vegetarian diet. Now, I'm not pro that, but we'll just talk about... You know, the, the, the land produces plants that you can eat, and they're good. We see something of not just God's created goodness, but by his design and his, his fingerprints all over this. And at the very end, it's like he plunks humanity in there and be like, enjoy. It's not like a zoo, like this is your enclosure. No, this is for you to reign. There's a difference. You know, if you have a pet, you throw it in the backyard. That's their, their habitat. Humanity is like, go and explore. Go conquer what has already been conquered for you. It's been created for you. This is like, God gives you a playground. That's this picture. That, so we see ourselves as humanity, as, as the crown of his creation. But we also see something of our purpose. Actually, if you flip the page... Very clear, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, we've been given all these things to work and to keep. So there's, there's more to the purpose and the worth that is in our created in God's image than really of our nature. I stand with other commentators and theologians, uh, John Piper being one of them, who would say that it's, it's not so much the nature of who you are, but actually what you do. That is in the image of God. Because we see that there's something of the prominence, something of the lastness, something of how we inherit as heirs creation, but it's most clearly depicted as the image in chapter 27. It's actually compounded. We, we see that twice in our language, but it would have been even more prominent to Hebrew readers. It says, in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Some commentators have said that to, it's like reducing it. It's like the image of an image, and I don't think that's it. It's not saying that you are equal to or of similar value. No, that's not it. You are representative of, but it's saying this. It's his image. 
what gives you value. It's, it's him, his, his image that, that, that gives you purpose, gives you meaning to your days, puts you in this place and gives you a job. Work and keep. That's, that's, you know, if you're a builder, you love that. If you're a fighter, you love that. So it pleases both sides. Like, this is yours. Go and explore it. Go and enjoy it. And we see that, uh, again, I'm leaning on Piper here, where he says that the image of God speaks more closely to our purpose and our worth than our nature. But it also says there's little in the biblical text, little in the biblical story that would say that this image that is inherent and irrevocable to us as God's creation is something lost. I'll explain, we'll kind of build on that as we go this morning, but if it was given, it's ours to lose or forfeit, but it's inherent of our, it's his, it's his design. It's how he made us. Tim Mackey, uh, if you know the Bible Project or podcast, My Strange Bible, he, he builds this out saying this image of God motif, archetype from Genesis 1-2 is apparent throughout the entirety of Scripture. That's part of the reason we want to build on this. This is going to speak to your work. This is going to speak to your relationships. This is going to speak to your identity. This is going to speak to if you get one thing this morning, you have worth and value. You're not a causality of random mistakes. Even if your parents told you that, it's not true. You have, an, 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 you have the imprint of the original, of the creator on you. And what is that? We actually see, and again, speaking off of kind of Tim Mackey's work, he, he'd say God continually gives and re-gives this truth to us in his word. That the original job was that God creates us in his image as representatives, puts us in creation. He's like, go for it. Your job is to represent my goodness. Your job is to represent my authority. Your job is to represent my design and my, my power. You're, you're, you know, go for it. It's in you to do that. So when you build things, he's probably like, that's cool. Never would have thought of that. Like, awesome. I'm happy in that. As, you, uh, as they created gardens, you know, all these things, like that was, that's part of the design. But it's not that the image of God is reducible to our morality, our reason, our creativity. To do so would parcel it out as if it's one thing that can be gained or lost. It's part of the human multifacetedness and complexity that holds and encaptures this idea of that we are created in his image. This is, this is you. This is me. This is how we've been meant to be. As representatives, we, we see that God re-gives this to his people in, in the Old Testament as he gives them the temple and the temple system. Because in every ancient temple, there was images, there was icons of their deity. And we know this from archaeological finds and even, uh, even modern-day representations. You walk in and you know, well, who, what's this place for? Oh, it's the, it's the image, it's the deity, it's the idol. We know, and yet God's temple was distinct. There was none of those things, but it was full of those things. Why? Because as God's people, as they were dressed in beautiful garments, cleansed through the activity of worship, and adherence to his law, they walked around as priests and represented God to the people. They, that we get to be the image bearers. That's this image. And we see that building out into the church. That Jesus cleanses us and sends us out to redeem a broken world. That this, this is your job. This is what we're supposed to do. We're image bearers. Now, not only does that speak to our purpose and speak to our design, 
It means we can't refute it. The material can't say to the artist what it gets to be. I got to experience this in an art class with a, a rather artsy teacher who one day we all came in and there was a lump of clay in front of all of us. And before we were allowed to do anything with it, she, in what I imagine she thought was very eloquent and inspiring, she walked around between the students and said, now imagine what the clay is telling you it wants to be. You could tell some students were really soaking that in. Hmm, I wonder. I'm going, it's probably going to be an ashtray. <laughs> I can only see one outcome here. I'm going into ministry, let's be honest. <laughs> the clay can't say to the, to the maker what it wants to be, and even if it could, it does not define or deny what it's going to be. Okay, that's, that's a very loud and yet subtle way of rebuking our world. It says, no, I get to decide for myself. I get, I get to tell you, creator, what I'm made to be. In fact, we are, we are made with a design that either will fill you or destroy you. These, we, we're created as, as tools made for a purpose. If you ever watched somebody use the wrong tool for the wrong job, it's painful and excruciating, especially if you're in a blue-collar kind of world. Ever watch your neighbors trim the hedges with the lawnmower? It's like, that's not, efficient maybe? Dangerous definitely? It's, <laughs> as the guy with no fingers waves at you, right? Like that, that's, you know that there's, there's something that goes against the design and it's not only not for that, it, it, it smacks against the designer and it, it's completely against the design that's within us. See, the importance of the Imago Day is it tells us who we're meant to be and, and how to step into that. See, it, it speaks to dignity. It speaks to our rights. It speaks to our worth. It speaks to dignity. And, and I would say it this way. Uh, apart from the Christian teaching of the Imago Dei, that, that would say all peoples, all races, all nations have irrevocable and inherent worth and value, um, you do not have a leg to stand on to aspire to those things. It says that there's the image of God, which says every person has value and has worth, and their, and their image, their, their icon, their, the who they are as a person uh, represents something of value that cannot be destroyed or removed. In fact, this is what God gets at. The next time this language appears in the text is Genesis 9, 6. It says, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. What, what that's saying, a rough translation would simply be this. I, I've made you to rule and have authority over creation, not each other. That's, that's his job. That's the job of the original, not the representative. And as a representative, when we tread on the image of each other, we overstep and we tread on God's image. We, we know this to be inside of us because every time in an ancient war, as countries would overtake a city, they tear down the images of the king as if to be symbolic of this is ours now. That king is tearn, torn down. They have no authority here. We continue that motif in our culture today. Even recently, uh, as we saw statues of Sir John A. Macdonald being removed from public places. Why? Because of his involvement with residential schools. 130 years after his death, cancel culture is saying, you have no more influence 
on our society, and we are removing you. Your image no longer carries weight here. So for the Christian to abuse, to neglect, to, to harm another person means that we are actually spitting in the face of God. There's dignity. There's value. It, it speaks to human rights. Actually, scholars, both uh, present-day and ancient scholars, who have ado- adopted this idea of universal form of human rights, uh, would, would actually point to the fact that it's the Imago Dei, which allows that to hold weight and float. A- any other way of coming at that, you, you really can't make a good argument for the innate value and innate uh, character of human rights. If you think that humanity is the random causality of particles and atoms colliding, well then, the natural outplay of that is, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Survival of the fittest. And so when another person abuses another person or another people group takes over another people group, it's sad, but it's not immoral. There's nothing about that person or that group that needs to be protected. But those who would deny God, yet still affirm that there's still a need for, and there's universal human rights, uh, they would say this. This is true of ancient or uh, past thinkers and present thinkers who would say it's humanity's unique ability to have capacity, to reason, to, to create the arts. It, that's what sets them apart and, and means they're worth protecting. But that is deeply flawed. In fact, I'd, I'd invite you, if you're intrigued by this, you can uh, Google Peter Singer, Australian philosopher, who has a lot to say on this, and he ruffles everybody's feathers, because he simply says this, well, if it's capacities, then I see no more reason to protect a chimpanzee than a human being. Their life and their value would be the same, indistinguishable. Because if it's a matter of capacities, there's no reason to protect that which does not contribute, does not demonstrate reason, does not demonstrate uh, an ability to add or enhance culture or society. And so there's no reason to protect an unborn child, let alone a born child. There's no reason to protect the disabled, the dis- disenfranchised, the elderly. Why? Because they can't contribute. They, they can't add. They have no capacity for. And that that kind of causes our blood to boil, and yet he's absolutely right. It's only the image of God which says that you have an inherent value because you bear the mark of your creator that allows these things to float, that you have right. And in fact, this is not just what uh, keeps the church apart today, but actually one of the major distinctive marks of the early church in a time where these issues weren't just ours, they were theirs as well, where there was common practice, where if you didn't want a child, you could discard it. If you wanted to take over a people group, you just had to uh, reduce their value. If you wanted to have slaves or people of lesser status, you could do that. And yet what the church did through the Imago Dei was it, it and this is to quote Tim Keller, I love his, his wording, it expands the protection of humanity. And it covers all people where the weak and the helpless and the disenfranchised have a home and a place. And church, this is maybe not our primary work, but this is the outflow of that work. It's beautiful. It's expansive. It's expensive. It's difficult, but we know we can do that. Why? Because this is the purpose. This is design that we've been given. You see, 
I would encourage us to think of it this way. An image, or in the Greek, that's your New Testament, an icon, is meant to represent and be representative of another, of the original. That, that could be a painting, that could be a statue, but, but I think a better image is a mirror. Because a, a painting or a statue, uh, unlike a mirror, a mirror can actually, it's designed to shine forth and reflect. And what Scripture says is that you and I are not the original, we're an image, we are made to be mirrors. And when we focus our direct attention and admiration to our Creator, we are able to illuminate dark places. And that is our design, that is our purpose. But through our rebellion, through a desire to turn inward, to say, no, I want to be a self-made man, self-made woman. I, I want to have my own design, my own purpose. I want to do me. You know I love that phrase. We are mirrors that have grown dim. We've been veiled through our own self-importance, self-aggrandizing, self-centeredness, our own sin. And, and I love the image of a mirror because we know this. There's nothing in it that, that is actually full. It, it can, through proper positioning and reflection, carry the, the full weight of the sun. It's, it's light, it's heat, it's power. It can set ablaze a flame, but... When it is turned even a few degrees off, it, it's empty, it's cold, and it cannot ignite itself. Have you ever gone to school with kids when they discover that their calculators and watches have reflective surfaces and they try to get each other's attention? A few degrees and it's, it's, it has no effect. Only God can fill. See, we, we've, we've been shaped for relationship. It means we are not, we have no ability in, in, in and of ourselves to shine forth, but we're also made through relationship with one who can to do that. And yet, we oftentimes will point our focus at ourselves or someone else, which is to utterly destroy or consume them. You can either be a light in the darkness or you can just be an all consuming darkness. If you know anybody, and there are people who, are diagnosed this way, who are consumed with an ever-present fear and worry of abandonment. Through great self-sacrifice and compassion, you might want to befriend or love that person, but you'll simply come to a discovery, they will crush you. Because that's an empty hole that cannot be filled. It needs something greater, something of greater weight. And the word weight means glory. God's glory shines forth like a brilliant light, meant to fill, meant to indwell, meant to radiate out of his people. That's the image of God that has been broken. Not that it has been removed or dropped, but it has been broken through a broken relationship with our creator when we've been like mirrors saying, I don't want to shine anymore. Or if I do, I want to shine for me. And I just haven't figured that out because I can't. I'm not designed for it. And we kid ourselves in that activity. In fact, I, when we talk about what it means to be restored, if you look at Exodus chapter 34, it depicts Moses going up the mountain to spend time with the Lord. And as he receives the law, he communicates with the Lord face to face as he beheld his glory. It means he, he took, it's like taking the full weight of the sun 
dead on, and it transformed him. He comes down the mountain, and, and Scripture says he, he radiated, he shone, he, he was brilliant, and everyone's kind of like, whoa, what happened to you? In fact, we got to put a veil on you, because we don't know how to receive that yet. We don't know what to do with that. We've been made to shine. We've been made to be mirrors that can ignite ourselves, but would properly reflect our creator, the original. And the rescuing work, the redeeming work, is found in the work of the sun. I used that image before of kids shining mirrors, shining reflective things. Jesus is the mirror to get our attention. Where we have been in our rebellion unwilling to face and incapable to face the full power of God's glory, Jesus comes down and says in Colossians chapter 1, 16, that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus affirms this of himself in John 14 where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God acts like? You want to know what he talks like? You want to know what he looks like? Look at me, said Jesus. He becomes a mirror that shines in our view that it might begin to illuminate us and that we might fix our gaze on him and in so doing become filled with the light of God's love once again. To recapture, renew, restore what it means to be images of God because we were once broken through a broken relationship with him. And the beauty of that is this. If you think, Aaron, that's a a pretty description, It's, it's actually in Scripture. I invite you, open up your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. It says, But their minds were, were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ it is taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, all, and we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's that saying? When it says, when Moses read, it says, when we open up God's law, and yet are unseeing, it's like we have a veil over us, and we're, we're unable to shine. But because of Jesus, who makes the law and makes the fulfillment of the law so apparent to us. And he removes its, all the obstacles so that we can see God's glory in him and what he does in our lives. He redeems and restores us through faith and repentance. We become like people with unveiled faces, able to shine. And we are being transformed by one degree to another to look more like his image. To be more and more the image bearers we're being created to be. Church, that's what we want for you. That's what I'm going to pray for you. So let's bow our heads. I'll invite the music team up. So Father, yes, that's, that's our prayer. Forgive us of when we've tried to make an image for ourselves. When we've, in rebellion, in stubbornness, said, God, I, I, want, to be a, I want to be my own creation. I rebuke the design of my designer. Lord, there's no life in that. There's no light in that. 
Jesus with an incredible gift, ruling, reigning, authority, the full image of the original that is given us through right relationship with you. Jesus, we want that. Jesus, I thank you that you make it available because, Lord, apart from you, to see the glory of the Father would crush. To fix our gaze on other people would overwhelm and consume them. It would only give us more of the world we know where we trample on on the image ourselves and we trample on the image in others. But, Father, we thank you that when we see you rightly, we begin to see ourselves rightly. We begin to see each other rightly with an inherent value and worth and beauty that shines forth as we focus on you. And so, Lord, as we stand, as we worship, this is our opportunity, Lord, in in a corporate response to say, God, we want to fix our gaze on you. We repent. That means we, we forsake a life where we've been so fixated on focusing on the wrong things. So, Lord, we want to return that, that focus to you, to feel your warmth, to feel your beauty, and to radiate that to this world as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.